Okay, we are continuing in our study of Hebrews this morning. Uh, I'm trying to do this week by week, basically chapter by chapter. You know, we did chapter one the first week, chapter two the second week, and so today we are going to do chapter three. Uh, some people are saying, why are you kind of rushing through here? <laughs> And, uh, and the fact of the matter is I'm not really, I mean, the, the fact is this, is we have so much more of the Bible that we need to take a look at as well. But I mean, I love uh, the book of Hebrews. It's, uh, it's one of my most favorite books in the whole Bible. Uh, and one of the main reasons, and I've tried to bring this to light, is this, is it, it, it gives us a picture of Christ that we just don't get hardly anywhere else. Such depth. And I personally believe that the best thing that could happen for every one of us in this room is that we would come to know our Lord better and better. And as we know him better and we know him more and we understand, in a sense, him more, that will be reflected in the manner in which we live our life for him. that the attributes that we see of Christ very much brought to light here would in fact be attributes that would be ascribed to us to some degree and in some way. I mean, obviously, at least in the beginning chapters of Hebrews, the author's purpose is to show that Jesus is greater than everything. <laughs> Chapter 3 is this, you know, that Jesus is greater than Moses. We're going to talk about that this morning, but let me read first that chapter. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, uh, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as his servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, that Christ is faithful over God's house as his son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works uh, for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, 
if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provided for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, those bodies fell in the wilderness? To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So just briefly, I just want to kind of review what we've covered up to this point. In the first chapter, basically what we see there is the exaltation of Christ. Christ is greater. Christ is better. Chapter 2, as we studied last week, demonstrates that Jesus is far greater than the angels. And what we've just read this morning is that Jesus is far greater than Moses. In other words, none of those things that we've considered so far are great in any sense of the word to the degree that Jesus is. We know this, that that Moses was very important, a very important character as far as Judaism goes. He's the one that God gave the Ten Commandments to. He is the one who wrote the laws, the sit down the civil and social laws of Israel. We know that even today that the Jewish people acknowledge and, and, and recognize Moses as a very great man sent by God to do a number of things. And one of those was to, to carry them out of Egypt, out of bondage. He was also noted to be the lawgiver, the one that God gave the law to, the social law, the civil law, the moral law on Mount Sinai, the moral law being written down on those Ten Commandments. We, as believers, acknowledge and consider Moses to be a very great and outstanding person in the unfolding of true religion through the Bible. In other words, we would recognize, we would acknowledge Moses to be a very great man of God who continues to have influence upon us in the Christian church today. I remember the movie The Ten Commandments when I was a kid. (laughs) I don't know how many times I saw it, but my brother and I loved the ancient movies about the Spartans and the Egyptians and the Romans and, and all of that. And I don't know how many times, as an unbeliever, I watched uh, the Ten Commandment movie and, 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 and just loved it. He calls his audience not just brothers, but holy brothers. Those to whom he's writing. 
So there's a particular thing that holds them together as brothers, and that is holiness. The holiness that is granted to us that comes upon us through our relationship with Jesus Christ. How many times has someone called you a holy brother? That you can recollect. <laughs> May have been so many times you can't even remember how many times. I'm not sure I've ever had anybody call me a holy brother. But we're reminded this morning that that in fact is what we are. We are holy brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Set apart by God's holiness. Set apart for God's holy purpose. But as great as Moses was, he was only a man. He was only a servant of God. The underlying argument here is that Jesus is greater than Moses because he is in fact God. He is the God-man, the one who's both fully God and fully man at the same time, and he will be eternally such. Consequently, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than even Moses. Just a little footnote here, and this is what I was thinking about the other day, because we don't really know who the author of Hebrews was. And some people have speculated that it was one of Jesus' direct disciples. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. You know that uh, Peter and John and James were up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, and Jesus... Moses appeared to Jesus and had a conversation with Jesus. And, and you would think it would be very strange for one of them to have written this book and not brought that real-life event that they experienced into the picture. So I would say that probably means that none of those guys wrote the book of Hebrews. Maybe one of the other apostles may have, but not, not one of those uh, three Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. When God builds, he builds from scratch. Some of us in this room have done some building, and we've, we've used wood in you know, our construction projects, and we've used concrete, and we've maybe done some tile work, and we've done this, that, and the other, and, 
and whatever. But when we do things like that, we never start from scratch. We already have basic materials that we start with and we just, you know, change their form in some way or the other and we use those in our building and construction processes. God, in fact, builds the materials that we use. The wood from trees, stone, glass, all those other things, concrete. He makes the basic stuff that those things are made out of, composed of. God created the whole universe and everything that is in it. We just take the stuff he's already made and use it to make useful things. Jesus is the true builder of God's house. And he continues to build it with every day that passes. And sometimes he uses us in that process and sometimes he doesn't. Verse 6, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. God's house consists of people, people like us, people who are saved by grace and by grace only and incorporated into God's house. He is the master builder of the church through the working of his Holy Spirit. He is the cement that holds it all together. Every house is built by someone. We don't go driving down the road one day and see a house and jump to the conclusion that just popped into existence all by itself. Right? We know that some people built that house and they took some types of materials and they, they, they actually constructed it. Ultimately, God is the master builder of his house. And we are merely his helpers. I don't know how much you know about the Puritan writers, but I think one of the best commentaries on Hebrews that's ever been written is the one that was given by John Owen one of the Puritan fathers.
He writes, Christ is more honorable than the house he builds. In other words, the church is honorable simply because Christ is honorable and he is the one who has built it. And continues to build it. You and I, at the very best, are merely his helpers in doing what he does. Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house. The house which we are. Christ is Lord over his house. We are only servants in it. Moses was faithful because God was faithful. God wasn't faithful because Moses was faithful. God's faithfulness always comes first. Our faithfulness, if there is any, is always secondary. Like Moses, we are part of God's house. How do we know that? Because Christ indwells us by the Holy Spirit. Because God himself has taken up residence within us. And because that same Holy Spirit binds us together. And because Christ seals what the Holy Spirit has done and continues to do, both in us and through us. I would imagine that Hebrews is probably not a book that is all that well known by lots of people. But I would imagine that most people have perhaps even memorized a few verses out of the book of Hebrews at some time or another. Probably one of the most common ones that people do know is chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. Later on in chapter 10 verse 31. The author of Hebrews will write these words. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you've been a believer for very long. You probably have seen some people fall away. Right? Right? 
I know of a couple of people that, uh, you know, for a very, for a long time, and I was somewhat associated with them. You know, I had every reason to believe that they were true in their faith and all of that. Only after some time, they fell away. In other words, sometimes it seems as if people come really, really close, but they don't quite make it in, in, in time. What little faith they may have had or whatever just does not hold up, doesn't hold the test of time, and they, they fall away. If, if you've been a Christian for very long, you've probably seen people do that. And sometimes it's the people we least expect to see something like that happen with. See, there's a warning here to take care. Because there will be those who fall away. And make sure that you're not one of them. Now, we believe very strongly in the perseverance of this faith, right? You know, what that means is basically this, is once you're saved, you are saved. You will not fall away. But at the same time, we understand that sometimes there will be people who come along who seem to be there, but time will show that they really are not. You might say, why would an unbelieving person have, want to have any association with a church? Well, one of the things is this, is, uh, and I've heard people say this, is that church people tend to be nice people. You know, there have been times when we've had people visit the church, and I've gone to visit with them and had a personal conversation with them, and one of the things that they will say about Springs Presbyterian Church is, is the people that are really nice, they were really nice to me. So there are people who will be drawn to the church simply for that reason. But that is not what faith in Jesus Christ is. That's a product of faith in Jesus Christ. If you've been a believer for very long, you probably know someone who fell away eventually who you never thought would. I don't know many, but I do know of a few. Time will tell whether faith is real and genuine or it's not. But let me say this to you this morning, that when those people fall away or fell away, it might have surprised the bejeebies out of you and me, but it didn't shock God one bit. He knew all along that that would happen. Didn't surprise him one iota. You see, we can fool other people sometimes, but we can never fool God. He always knows what reality is, what the truth is. 
that we believe very strongly in the perseverance of the saints, and that is that once you truly are saved, that you can't fall away. Not that you won't, but even more than that, you cannot. Because God will not let you go. How in the world could anybody ever have real assurance of salvation if they didn't understand that? So what we need to understand is that in this particular verse, it's very often brought forth as, as demonstrating that, it's, that believers can actually fall away. We need to understand it in, in light of the rest of the word of God. And we know that when someone falls away, it's because they were simply not a part to begin with. There is no doubt that the author of Hebrews means for this to be a warning shot to people. In other words, to get people's attention. But it's not for those who are truly saved. It's for those who claim to be saved, but actually aren't. Sometimes we're criticized because we actually have high expectations for people who become members of Springs Presbyterian Church or PCA churches. That's one of the reasons why everyone in this room that's a member went through a pastor's class. Because you, we want you to know what Springs Presbyterian Church, what the PCA is about, what our understanding is, what our, what our beliefs are about virtually everything. But there is no doubt that this is a warning shot to those who claim to be saved, but actually aren't. So why in the world would an unbeliever associate with a church? What about this? What about just the idea that people there generally are nice to me? I've actually, you know, because when I do pastor's class, and I've had a private conversation with just about everybody in this room. If you're a member, you and I have talked about what is real faith and what's not. Being nice is not what makes someone a believer, which is what some people think. 
being a believer is what makes people nice. People are social beings. Every now and then you'll meet someone who's not, who, who wants to be a hermit. There are such things as hermits. They have no association with anybody. But most people have some association with other people because we're social beings. We're not intended to be on our own, to be all alone all the time. So sometimes people participate in church stuff so they have that. Some people just don't like being alone. They're, in fact, are afraid to be alone. But we also know that there's another character in this whole picture, Satan, right? He was constantly trying to sow the tares and the wheat. That's his intention. That's his purpose. We continue to have an enemy, and our greatest enemy is unbelief. The unbelief that we all still have a smidgen of that sometimes gets the best of us. But I want to bring this to home this morning. And that is, this, this author's not writing a letter to people in general. He's not writing a letter to just a group of people in the world. He's writing a letter to the church, to church people. And we can't read his mind and his heart directly, but we can certainly get some implication from what he does right. And his great concern here is this, is his fear is there are people still in that church who are not actually believers. And it's a warning to them. Encourage one another day after day as long as it is still day. Is it still today? Yes. Lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceit. The heart and the root of it. Sin has this ability, and that is to harden your heart. To thank the Lord that we have every ground to have real, genuine, living, breathing assurance of our salvation.
You see, the problem is the author of Hebrews is writing to people who have some assurance of salvation when in fact they're not saved. So we need to understand something, that there is true assurance, but there's also false assurance. R.C. Sproul wrote these words, All people fall into one of the following categories. Those who are not saved and they know it. In other words, unbelievers, they want no association with the church, they want no association with Christ, and etc. Those who are saved but don't know it, do you think it's possible for someone to actually be saved and not know it? Well, I'd say possibly if you came across somebody that was really, really humble and, 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 and lowly who, who believed that, and they knew themselves well enough to know that I don't deserve to be in the church. I don't deserve to be included in the family of God. And they let that rule their mind and the thought in regard to this. You think there's some people that think that maybe they've committed such a crime that they're not worthy, that, 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 that God's forgiveness may be great, but it's not big enough? So I would say that on occasion, you're going to come across people who actually are saved, and they don't actually know they are. They struggle with their assurance of salvation. There are also those who are saved and they know it. And I hope that's where you are. But the problem is there are those who are not saved and they believe that they are saved. Perhaps because they've never really heard the full gospel. Perhaps because they are staking their whole religious experience on the fact that when they were 22 years old, somebody came knocking on their door and shared the gospel with them, and they made a profession of faith, and that was it. Understand, this last group, those who are not saved but believe they are, these are the ones that the author of Hebrews is talking about. So what are we to do? Let me just tell you this. We should, we should be making an assessment of ourselves on a pretty regular basis. And if we're not growing in Christ, we should ask the question, why? And we have, if we have an answer, the other question that follows is, what are you going to do about it? Who among us does not need at least an occasional word of encouragement? 
a reminder that we're not in it all by ourselves. We're not alone. We stand. But we stand together. Can you imagine what it would be like if you're the only believer on God's green earth? (laughs) Seriously, how could any of us survive the onslaught of the world without the encouragement of other believers? We need it. We thrive on it. It helps us in a way that other things just simply won't. We're called to run the good race, to fight the good fight, to stay the course, to persevere to the end, but we're not called to do it all on our own. Encouragement is something that comes to us from outside of us. We can only encourage others as others encourage us. Verse 18, they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Do you, do you understand that we still have a very great enemy and that, ungreat, and that great enemy is unbelief? Therefore, we must guard ourselves against it. How do we do that? What are some practical ways in which we can stay the course? God has not left us absolutely defenseless in practical ways. Number one is to know his word. His word is our defensive weapon against lies and etc., Be in community as we are this morning. I hope everyone in this room has relationships that go beyond this room with people that are in this room. I need to be encouraged just like you do. We all need to be. And sometimes that encouragement is going to come from sources outside. But the vast majority of times, the encouragement that I get and the encouragement you get is going to come through other people in this room. So are you an encouraging spirit?
Do you have private worship? Do you have a quiet time? Do you read the Bible? Do you pray? And this is something that has come more and more upon my heart and my mind in more recent years, something that I probably would have passed over quite a bit for a long time. And that is to have a humble reliance upon the Holy Spirit. To lean upon Him. If you're a believer, He lives in you. He's there. It's not that He's hiding away or waiting for you to invite him to come in. He's there. Do you ever talk to the Holy Spirit? Do you ever pray to the Holy Spirit? Do you ever ask the Holy Spirit to enable you, to, to strengthen you, to enlighten you as you're reading the words? He's every much as part of this picture as God the Father and God the Son are. Just in different ways. He's here with us this morning. God is here. But God the Father's not here. God the Son is not here in this room physically. But God the Holy Spirit is present. In us. Let me ask you this. You're reading the Bible sometimes seem to re- really be difficult. What do you do? That's just too hard for me. I give you a suggestion. Next time you're struggling with it, ask the Holy Spirit to give you a little bit of enlightenment. He's there. He's in you. I see him in you. I know he's in you. And what I would say is probably the weakest point of people that have our reform perspective is we don't give enough emphasis to the Holy Spirit. We just don't. We're about to take communion this morning. You understand that if this, this meal here this morning is any different than just us eating some crackers and having some grape juice, the only thing that makes it more than that is the fact that the Holy Spirit is here. That as we are doing this physically, He is ministering to us spiritually. What a gift. A gift that keeps on giving. But a gift, unfortunately, I think that very often we don't really give much appreciation to. That Holy Spirit is the one who brought us to Christ. That Holy Spirit is the one who convicted us of our sin. That Holy Spirit is the one that is here. That Holy Spirit is the one who indwells us. 
That's what makes us different than other people. Ultimately, that is the key thing. That he lives within us. It's kind of a funny thing to say as we're about to do the Lord's Supper. Because most people would say the Lord's Supper is all about Jesus. There's some truth in that in a way, but let me tell you, the Holy, the, the, you know, the Lord's Supper without the Holy Spirit is nothing. It is meaningless. It is empty. It is void. And I hope that we will give better remembrance to that in the times to come. Praise team's going to come and lead us in a hymn of preparation. <laughs>